Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. It's Saturday, September 30th, 2023, recording this a day in advance. Um, yesterday evening and then this morning, I'm recording a new set of uh, hymns for Lutheran Public Radio, but this time recording in Sheboygan at Trinity, um, our congregation there. So, um, a lot less travel, and uh, oh, that's that's actually kind of a relief. I enjoy recording um, at the seminary in Fort Wayne, but the travel, you know, about ten hours round trip is uh, uh, makes it a lot more difficult, especially uh, you know, so that I can uh, be attentive to you. So here we are. I'm recording on Friday for today, Saturday, and what we're going to do today is, as we do uh, most Saturdays throughout the school year, as we look at the Old Testament and Epistle reading for tomorrow so that we might be better prepared um, to hear preaching um, and hear how the themes that are in those texts uh, integrate with the rest of the day. That being said, uh, tomorrow, Sunday, will be Trinity 17. We hear from Luke 14, uh, which is the uh, healing of the man with dropsy or with uh, edema, I guess is what we'd say today. And uh, But the question is whether he can be healed on the Sabbath day, and then in that context, he gives um, a sermon about taking the place of honor. And one of the things that we, I think, have lost sight of in our culture is the role of those um, who have authority. Well, that means that they're then servants, right? So we, we sometimes think of authority as the same way as power, that they have power over us. And in, I suppose in a sense they do, but that power is only delegated via authority, and the authority is given by one greater than they. So those who have authority over you um, are rightly called servants. And uh, in, the, in the case of civil, the civil estate, those are called public servants. They are to serve you according to the orders that they've been given from the higher authority, uh, ultimately from God. Same goes uh, for parents, right? So they have authority over their children, uh, but that authority is one of service, that they would serve them um, according to God's, well, command, right? To, to all the instruction he's given to parents. Um, same thing goes then for the pastoral ministry. The pastoral ministry is an office of service. Yes, they have authority over you. They watch over you, pastors do. But this is uh, a service role. It's for your benefit. It's for your good, right? And so you could actually call pastors public servants as well. Um, but that also means that they, because they're under uh, external authority, authority uh, from outside of themselves, uh, they don't get to determine uh, what what uh, is in what their authority entails. Uh, this is especially true for the pastoral ministry, which has a significant amount of instruction from Jesus as to what it is and what it isn't. It also means that you can't demand of them to serve you in ways that they have not been given to serve you. Uh, it also means that they often serve you in ways that maybe you're not uh, open or receptive to, which we've talked about in terms of the preaching office, to proclaim law and gospel to you, to convict you of your sin, but then to forgive you in the name of Jesus. I think we'd rather not have the convicting uh, aspect of that. I'd rather not preach that personally, um, unless I just want to be a grouch all the time. <laughs> but the Lord has given to me to expose sin in order that it be healed. All right, And that's under his orders, under his authority, not under my own. It's not something I've taken on to myself, but it's been given to me by God. All right, And recognized then by the congregation. So we'll talk about that in regards to, um, what do you want to say, pride and... Uh, humility or honor and dishonor, also in terms of words spoken and words not spoken. All right, so let's look at the 
our text here. We'll begin with our prayer as we've been doing all week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Prayer psalm for the week. One more time. Remember, I suggested to you think of this as a psalm that Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, not only for himself, but for um, his fellow disciples and ultimately for you. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay. Pray our verse for the week. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13, verse 10. Seventh commandment. You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Eighth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Right. I think you'll hear echoes uh, of Luther's explanation here in the Eighth Commandment uh, in the Proverbs, namely in Proverbs 25, which is our Old Testament for tomorrow. Um, and, of course, given to, uh, well, another whole dimension of how to, mm, when to speak and what not to speak and how to speak it, all right? And uh, I don't think we're particularly good about guarding the door of our lips, to quote the psalm. I know I personally struggle with this, um, and it's also partly because I'm given to often speak extemporaneously, right? I'm asked a question in Bible study, and I need to speak according to God's word, first challenge. Second, um, in a spirit of gentleness, also sometimes challenging. All right. And I think that's true for all of us in the various contexts where we are given to testify or to bear witness. Right? So here's Proverbs 25. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great, for it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Right? So that's connected to tomorrow's gospel about not taking the place of honor. 
Continuing, do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful message to those who send him, for he refreshes the souls of his master. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. All right. One of the challenges with the Proverbs is, and I think one of the reasons why it's generally not attended to in our uh, prayers and our reading, is um, very often it's, well, a proverb after a proverb after a proverb, right? It's just one after another. Um, they don't they don't often seem to be correlating to one another or connected to one another. And that's especially true here. If you look at the beginning of chapter 25, uh, it, it actually indicates that these are proverbs of Solomon, but gathered by Hezekiah's men, all right, gathered from amongst those who heard Solomon speak, presumably. All right, so that um, is a little peculiar. Let me look here make sure. What does it say? Further wise sayings of Solomon, which men from Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. All right. So to that point, um, who are these counselors or scribal officials um, is not really certain. I'm going to give you a little background, maybe help you understand what's going on here. But again, these are, uh, this is Hezekiah looking for some wisdom from the wisest king um, of the combined kingdoms, Solomon. Several advisors to King Hezekiah of Judah are mentioned um, in 2 Kings chapter 18, so Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, are three that are mentioned there. But there's uh, no way to equate them with the recorders here of the Proverbs of Solomon. However, we do know what was the context, uh, why Hezekiah would be looking for wisdom from Solomon. National crisis, right? And that's a time for reflection. And perhaps Hezekiah is attempting to gain God's favor by having additional traditional wisdom sayings recorded and disseminated. Um, compare this to the teachings of Ahikar, a guide of proper behavior, which were presented to the king of Assyria as a means of his returning royal fa- to royal favor. Right, so in the time of crisis, the king um, seeks out wise counsel. Um, I was talking to uh, my friend Pastor Riley yesterday about this, um, not on our podcast, but actually I think separately, and he noted that, uh, or maybe it was the other day, it hasn't been that long since when there was a national crisis, um, our president or um, you know the heads of Congress or whatnot would actually call in clergy to provide them wisdom and instruction. It, it hasn't been that long. Um, today, I don't know where they seek wisdom, <laughs> where they seek wise counsel um, to uh, indicate what they should be doing, uh, or at least give them some indication of what God might have to say about it. All right, so it makes sense that Hezekiah would do that. All right, now uh, to the silver, or the gold and the silver, right? A word fitly spoken there. Actually, verse, yeah, that would be what we want to look at. Um, In order to do this, you have to refine the silver. And for silver to be shaped into jewelry or in a decorative design, it has to be purified with iron oxide. That's the, so that it can, the dross can be separated, right? That naturally occurs with the ore, or it will corrode or become too brittle when cool. So the iron oxide has to be removed from the silver. I'll call that the dross uh, in the scriptures usually. Care must also be taken that no foreign matter be alloyed with the silver during the smelting process. Um, the smelting process requires a temperature of 1,640 degrees Fahrenheit for sterling silver, containing 7.5 parts of copper alloy, and a graphite 
uh, crucible, right? So if you've ever seen melted silver, it's usually in graphite because that won't melt it at 1600 degrees. Proper refining of the metal thus forms a parallel with a king who attempts to purge his court of evil by removing disloyal or foolish advisors. So this is earlier in the chapter. You'll see this. So the eloquent peasant of Egypt, Egyptian wisdom who admonishes the pharaoh to be just a ruler without greed and a destroyer of lies. So that idea of um, separating the dross from the silver is about uh, removing that which is unwise or evil or, or contrary to God's word. And so Hezekiah is going to do that. Then we're talking about um, uh, kind of the civil uh, judicial system is in the next part. And we see that in verse um, 8 through 10, right? And then that's likened to um, a word fitly spoken is likened to a, apples of gold and silver settings. This, this was used back in chapter 15 as well. And it's a well-turned phrase or wisdom statement that's set of great value. The writer here uses the metaphor of a finely worked piece of jewelry whose craftsmanship has been able to balance a golden piece of fruit amidst an intricately designed silver setting. So there's um, um, some artistry or some beauty, right? The delicacy of this decorative device draws the eye just as a clever saying touches the mind. Some have suggested that the fruit named here is an apricot rather than an apple, but it makes no difference to the imagery, all right? Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Right, so think of it this way. Um, you're, you come to church, Hezekiah goes to his counselors. He's looking for wisdom to place in the midst of what is a fine workmanship. But now there's this wisdom that needs to be um, inserted in order to make it, to, to make it even more intricately um, beautiful and, and wise in this case. All right. Uh, and then the cold and the snow, cold of snow and time of harvest. Here's some background on that. According to the work calendar, Outlined in the Gezer Almanac, a late 10th century Hebrew inscription, harvest activity occurred in the spring and in the mid to late summer months. So they had two harvests. The, thus, the dream of a cool breeze or even snow may well have been on the mind of workers laboring in the hot sun in the spring harvest. Huh. An alternate interprets snow as water melted from snow and therefore cool and refreshing. That works too. Others have seen a reference to a to carefully packaged ice and snow being brought down from the mountains to refresh the, the workers. That works too. Either way, this serves as an apt metaphor for the relief brought to by a long-awaited messenger whose news refreshes and soothes the mind. All right. And so again, um, that could be connected then, I think maybe to the previous proverb about a word fitly spoken as well, can bring refreshment. Right. So, um, but that but the reason why this text was chosen was not for all of the the wisdom literature aspect or the wisdom of, of, of a wise word and of reproof or correction to obedient um, people. Um, although that connects us to the eighth commandment, which we've been studying all week, but it's really those first two verses. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great, right? So always take the seat of humility. This is why Christians typically sit in the back until the pastor tells them, come move up to the front, right? For it is better for that he say to you, come up here than that you should be put in the lower put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. You typically see this in, in weddings and other kinds of events too, is that if the table of honor is clearly indicated, people tend to sit further away from it than, rather than closer, all right? Not thinking of themselves too highly. Um, but there can be also a false humility there, right? Um, take the seats that are afforded to you. Uh, but especially if you're asked to sit at the table of honor, consider it a great honor, right? And um, this is especially true in the kingdom of God. I think that's the uh, import for us tomorrow 
is that uh, we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought before our neighbor in the church, before, uh, but especially before God. But always come before God and before one another in humility, uh, confessing one's sins, being forgiven in Jesus' name, claiming nothing great is coming from ourselves, but everything coming as a gift from God. All right. And then, um, speaking of the Church of God, we have Ephesians chapter 4 as our epistle for tomorrow. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness. There's the theme, humility. With long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. all right, what a great confession of the gift of the Holy Christian Church with which God the Holy Spirit has gathered together. Um, this text is used, of course, to, in the uh, explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed, the article on the work of the Holy Spirit um, in the large catechism. So you'll see it quoted there. You also hear echoes of the Creed itself. I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, one baptism for the remission of sins, right? All that one language in the Nicene Creed is there as well, obviously being cited from here. You also have that um, the character of all Christians to care for one another in a spirit of gentleness and lowliness and humility, suffering with one another, suffering one another actually, not just suffering with, but suffering <laughs> each other, which is not easy. That is to bear with one another in love. Um, love does not um, does not lie, so we always put the best construction on what happens and what people say and do, but at the same time, we can't lie about it. We certainly tell the truth um, for their sake, and always uh, telling the truth when it comes to sin, sin committed against one another, is, is for the sake of forgiveness of sins. So, um, And remember, we talked about this with the Eighth Commandment, as Luther rightly recognizes in the explanation to the Eighth Commandment, that the office of judge um, civil, the civil estate, and also the office of preacher or pastor um, are, are not under the same uh, marching orders, if you like, from Jesus, and are given to judge doctrine, to go, judge Christ, the life of the Christian, again, for their sake, that they may repent and be forgiven. So that's that special authority Christ has given to his church on earth to uh, retain the sins of the unrepentant, but to forgive the sins of the repentant as long as they repent. Right. So there is a distinction there. Um, if you've given, been given that authority, parents have certainly of their children, pastors certainly have of the congregation, um, then that needs to be exercised as well. But of course, with wisdom um, and not with cleverness, but I suppose with, um, with in humility, that's the right, you know, a pastor never uh, brings people's sins to remembrance um, to demean them so that he seems better than them, but it's rather um, that they repent and live in the same way that he confesses his sins, so that he may repent and live. All right. I'm going to share something with you. I don't think I've shared with you before. And there's actually a preface. There's preface to all the parts of our Lutheran confessions, including the catechisms. But there is a preface to the, to the whole book of Concord, the collected uh, confessions of our congregation, our congregations, I should say. And this was uh, written in the formal court style of its day, um, this the translation I'm going to read to you is based on the Latin text of 1584, so four years after uh, the formalization of the book, what we call the Book of Concord now. All right, but you'll hear this text uh, referred to as we go through. This will give you um, the context for making a Christian confession as well. To the readers, one and all, all these our writings, 
We are the electors, princes, and deputies of the Holy Roman Empire in Germany, supporters of the Augsburg Confession who subscribed our names to that document. We announce and declare, according to the dignity and rank of each person, our devotion, friendship, and greeting, combined with willing service. In these last times and in this old age of the world, what a remarkable favor of Almighty God has risen after the darkness of papal superstitions. According to his unspeakable love, patience, and mercy, he willed that the light of his gospel and word, through which we alone receive true salvation, should arise and shine clearly and purely in Germany, our most beloved fatherland. Therefore, a brief and succinct confession was prepared from God's word, the most holy writings of the prophets and apostles. At the Diet of Augsburg in the year 1530, this confession was offered in German and Latin languages by our most godly ancestors to the Emperor Charles V of excellent memory. It was laid before the deputies of the empire. Finally, it was circulated publicly in the entire world among all people professing Christian doctrine. So it was spread everywhere and began to be found in the months and speech, mouths and speech of all. Later, many churches and schools embraced and defended this confession as a current symbol for the chief articles of faith, that is, the Augsburg Confession. This was done especially by those involved in controversy with the Romanists and various corruptions of the heavenly doctrine. With lasting agreement, they appealed to the Augsburg Confession without any controversy and doubt. They knew that the doctrine included in it was both supported by the firm testimonies of Scripture and approved by the ancient and accepted symbols, that is, the creeds. They have also constantly judged this confession to be the only and lasting consensus of the true believing church. In this in this or in the past, this consensus was defended against many heresies and errors. Now it is repeated. A little bit more history then. No one can be ignorant of this fact. Immediately after Dr. Martin Luther, the most distinguished hero endowed with most eminent piety, was removed from human affairs, that is died. Germany, our dear fatherland, experienced most perilous times and most severe disturbances. In these difficulties, and in the sad division of a government that was earlier flourishing and well-regulated, the enemy of mortals, that is Satan, cunningly labored. He, he scattered the seeds of false doctrine and dissensions in the churches and schools. He also labored to stir up divisions combined with offense. By these arts of his, he labored to corrupt the purity of the heavenly doctrine, to sever the bond of Christian love and godly agreement. That would be our text right before us, right? Keeping the unity in the spirit of the spirit and the bond of peace sever the bond of christian love and godly agreement and to hinder and delay to a greater degree the spread of the most holy gospel right note they say that's not um, the pope's error it's i mean it does corrupt this but this is all the work of the deceiver the enemy of mortals it is also known to all how the enemies of the heavenly doctrine seize this opportunity to speak against our churches and schools to disguise their errors and to draw alarmed and erring consciences away from the purity of gospel teaching. They did this to make people more willing to bear and tolerate the yoke of papal slavery, and also to embrace other corruptions conflicting with God's word. All right. We conclude that nothing more agreeable could happen or should be sought more eagerly and prayerfully from the Almighty God than the following. A. Both our churches and school, our schools should persevere in the pure doctrine of God's word and in that uh, longed-for and godly oneness of mind, again, Ephesians 4, and B, as was the case while Luther was still alive, they should be regulated by the divine word, which was handed down to posterity in a godly and excellent way. All right, so our church too says that, um, that God's word is the sole rule and norm for faith and life. Right? Everything in our congregation is, guide, is, is governed by God's word. However, 
we notice something else happening. This happened in apostolic times in those churches where the apostles themselves had planted the gospel of Christ. Corruptions were introduced by false brethren. So because of our sins and looseness of these times, this trouble has been allowed by an angry God against our churches. Therefore, mindful of our duty, we know this has been divinely mandated to us. We think that we should apply ourselves diligently to the work of attacking the false teachings that have been spread in our provinces and realms. Right now, note these are the princes. These are the governing rulers that are saying that they need to attack the false doctrine in their realm. Hmm. What, wouldn't that be something to have a godly king or godly prince? Such teachings are gradually gaining favor for themselves in the manner and familiarity of the people. We should see to it that the subjects in our government may preserve in the straight way of godliness and in the truth of heavenly doctrine. This has been acknowledged, retained, and defended so far. The people should not be allowed to be led away from it. In this matter, indeed, partly our most worthy predecessors, partly we ourselves, were eagerly at work. Then, in the year of, of Christ, 1558, the Diet was held by the electors at Frankfurt on the Main. A resolution was adopted by unanimous vote that a special general assembly should be held. In a thorough but friendly manner, there would be a conference among us about the things that are hatefully charged by our adversaries against our churches and schools. So that's the uh, Naumburg Conference of 1561. Then they um, describe how that conference failed and why it failed. Then they describe the Torgau Conference of 1576 um, and how it was successful. Then they return to the role of the Augsburg Confession and then talk about uh, the Variata, the second edition of the Augsburg Confession, and then finally uh, what, what they're seeking to do here and seeking concord amongst their churches. All right? So it's quite, um, it's quite the document, the preface. You know, it ends with all the undersigned names, including like Louis Count Palatinate of the Rhine, Elector, Augustus, Duke of Saxony, Elector, John George, Margrave of Brandenburg, Elector, all these, um, basically the princes, or governors, or mayors of the various uh, provinces. They're all governed differently, but collectively they call themselves uh, Germany at this point. Um, but here's the key, all right? What is the Book of Concord? And so thus, what is, um, what gives us uh, unity? What is the bond of peace? What is, what is it? It's the confession of faith in Christ, ultimately, right? Where are those contained for us? Where do we uh, look? What symbols do we look to that give us, uh, deliver to us the reality of the Scripture's confession? We repeat in conclusion what we mentioned several times earlier. In this work of Concord, we have not all wished to create something new or to depart from the truth of the heavenly doctrine, which our ancestors renowned for their piety as well, as we ourselves have acknowledged and professed. We mean the doctrine that, having been taken from the prophetic and apostolic scriptures, is contained, A, in the three ancient creeds, so Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasius, B, in the Augsburg Confession, confession presented in the year 1530 to the Emperor Charles V of excellent memory, C, in the Apology, which was added to this, or defense if you prefer, D, in the small called articles, and last E, in both the catechisms of that excellent man, Dr. Luther. Therefore, we also determine not to depart even a finger's breadth either from the subjects themselves or from the phrases that are found in them. But the Spirit of the Lord aiding us, we intend to persevere constantly with the greatest harmony in this godly agreement. All right, so notice the source of godly agreement. It's God's word and its faithful expositions in the catechisms, creeds, and confessions. We intend to examine all controversies according to this true norm and declaration of the pure doctrine. So we have any kind of controversy, practical or theological. Actually, there's no such thing. Every practical conflict is ultimately theological as well. Every theological controversy has practical implications. All right. Uh, where do we 
Where do we seek to examine them? In the Norm and Declaration of Pure Doctrine. That's God's Word and its faithful exposition. Then, with the rest of the electors, princes, and deputies of the Holy Roman Empire, and other kings, princes, and magnates of the Christian state, in accordance with the constitution of the Holy Empire and the agreements that we have with them, we determined and desired to cultivate peace and harmony. We determined to render to each one, according to his rank, all duties belonging to us, together with the services of friendship. All right, so I think you, you also sense from the princes here what we talked about from uh, Proverbs 25, that um, Hezekiah is seeking godly wisdom so that he can govern according to God's word for the benefit of his people to be public a public servant. And you have the same thing here, to cultivate peace and harmony. Besides having made known our goals, we also earnestly apply ourselves with great strictness and most ardent zeal to the defense of the work of, the, of Concord, this work of Concord, or that's agreement. We will do this by diligently visiting the churches and schools in our realms, overseeing printing offices and other helpful means according to opportunities and circumstances that may be offered to us and others. We will also take pains if controversies already mentioned should be renewed or new controversies about religion should arise to remove and settle them speedily. We will work to avoid offense without long and dangerous delays. As a clear testimony of this, we have, with great consent, subscribed our names and attached our seals. Isn't that something? All right, so you can go uh, check that out. That's the preface to the Book of Concord. And it's, uh, well, you can read it at bookofconcord.org or one of the other, thebookofconcord.org, I think is the other site. But you'll notice here um, what St. Paul encourages the church to do in Ephesus. Um, these princes and electors and councilmen uh, and mayors and whatnot um, all commend themselves to that same work within their vocation, as we do within our vocation as parents, as I do within the pa- uh, uh, the vocation of, of the office of the ministry, the pastorate, is to endeavor to work war- worthy, to walk worthy of the calling to which we were called, whichever those are, um, but always according to God's word, working by the Spirit, trusting in our Lord and faith, baptism, and our God, and Father of all. Right? Hope that's a help to you um, in understanding what's going on, and you'll see that tomorrow. Um, humility is is uh, the virtue that actually um, allows that work uh, to persevere. All right. But we don't presume to know, um, what, regardless of what vocation we're in, <clears throat> but we also honor the vocations that God has given. And we honor them by uh, using them in a godly way. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let's sing our hymn one more time for the week. continue with prayer. O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works, 
through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day, the last day of the month, with Rachel celebrating her birthday, with Brooke and Sandra celebrating their new birth by water and word in baptism. Pray with Doug and Betty, who celebrate today their anniversary. Pray for all the households of our church, especially Whitney, Randall, Derek, Dick and Jean, Stephanie, and Chelsea. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering. We pray for our homebound. We pray for all the missions and mercy work of the church. We pray in intercession um, with Marcy, who gives thanks to God for healing. And we continue to pray for the family and friends of Kelsey, who grieve her death. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this that you would keep me this day also, kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's our congregation of prayer for today. September 30th, the last day of the month. It's good to have you with us here. I hope that's a help to you in thinking of pride and humility, taking the seat of honor, the seat of the lowest seat, um, and recognizing that um, even someone like Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in that, um, all, we are given to emulate God, or emulate Jesus in all of our vocations, whether it's as parents or teachers or pastors or even civil servants. Um, that we are given to serve, not to be served, and to serve according to the orders um, that God has given us, namely that God's word be protected and preserved and delivered uh, to those in our care. Okay, so God be with you all, keep you safe, and we'll see you tomorrow for divine service. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.